0: I didn't want to kill myself. I felt like it was not a right choice to kill myself, but I would pray to die. And then here I am literally on the other side of the bell, right? Mm-hmm. I had, had the choice to live or die and I chose to live. And the reason is uh, I was shown so many beautiful things that I should, needed to still do. It made me so excited to see that I still had a future, to add a family, that I needed to write a book, that I could go back and help others. That made me so excited to think I could come back and help other people.
1: Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My guest today is a professional speaker and author of a highly rated book, A Future for Tomorrow, which tells her remarkable story of miracles and surviving anorexia. She then turned her focus to helping a younger audience with her next two books, From Head to Tummy and Lily's Reflection. Her presentations are powerful, life saving events as she brings personal touch to important issues such as eating disorders, body image, divine worth, media messages, intuitive eating, suicide prevention, the power of the mind, and more. She delights in raising her three children in a small town in Utah with her best friend and true soulmate, Brandon. I am pleased to present Haley Hatch Freeman. Haley, are you ready to share your story of hope?
0: I am, thank you so much for having me today.
1: Oh, well, this is such an honor to have you on the show. I'm really excited that you get to kind of take us through your amazing journey and, and help give us some pointers, you know, but before we dive into all of the, that fun stuff, I figured we'd start with a fun fact. And that is that you are almost a foot taller than your husband. And so my first question is, first of all, how tall
0: are you? I am almost five ten, and yeah, my husband, um, he actually has a medical condition that makes him shorter but I love it he is and he is super hot still (laughs) he is still a super cutie but yeah that it's kind of fun we kind of are the unique couple around where I'm this tall blonde and he is you know shorter but still a super handsome man but yeah it's kind of a fun little quirk about us
1: that is awesome (laughs) so where did you guys meet
0: Um, we actually met online. We were, it was a little back in the day before online dating was a thing. It wasn't even a dating site at all. It was just a chat like Uh before, social media before Facebook, any of that, it was like LDS chat. And he happened to have a last name of a friend of mine from high school. Oh and so I clicked on him. I was like, do you happen to know so-and-so, you know, but he uh-huh. did it, but that's how we met and love at first sight. Really. <laughs> after, <laughs> after we met, after he sent pictures and that real life, but yeah.
1: <laughs> that is awesome. Well, that is so fun. And I think it's appropriate that we're going to talk about true worth today, because I think, That it doesn't matter how tall or short you are, it it matters who you are inside. And so I'm excited that we get to dive into your story a little bit. Absolutely. So let's go back kind of into your teenage years, then, when you probably didn't weren't as comfortable with your body image and who you were. Kind of take me through who who you were, how you were feeling at that point in time, and um, the point that you got to where you almost died.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So it started when I was 15. And um, it, like you said, it started with low body image, um, and then depression hit. And so it's just, um, so what was creating, it was a perfect storm to create anorexia.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, So anorexia, they call it the 10 headed monster, sometimes, because it, it, it needs about 10 different underlining issues to create this perfect storm to cause uh, anorexia, the disease. Mm. So a lot of people think, Oh, it's just about vanity or it's just about one thing. It's, it's not at all. It's a coping mechanism and it's uh, a really ugly disease that is created by a lot of ugly underlining issues. Mm. So for me, yeah, it did start with, you know, low self-esteem starting to happen, depression starting to happen. Uh, I do remember, you know, having kind of a crush on a kid when I was about 15, 16. And I remember thinking, oh, man, it, it seems like he's flirting with all these really skinny, beautiful girls. Maybe mm. maybe if I was thinner, maybe he would like me, you know. So mm-hmm. that was just one little seed that was planted. And, and then I had a friend who was a year older than me. And I remember driving home, riding on a bus. We I lived in a very rural area, so we had to ride a bus for a really long time <laughs> to get home. And I remember her saying, it was the last day of school, my freshman year in high school, and she was a sophomore. And I remember her saying, oh, I am going to diet all summer long. I'm going to diet all summer long. And I thought, oh, is that what we're supposed to do in high mm-hmm. school? We're supposed to diet? And I didn't know, but she was battling with bulimia and she had her own distorted body image and eating disorder that I had no clue about, but I was looking to her as an example and what we were supposed to do in high school. Mm -hmm. So that was another little seed that was planted in my mind. Um, So I'm like, okay. And so that summer I started to exercise more, started to restrict more. And then another thing that happened that summer was I got braces on my teeth. And so naturally it became painful to eat. And so I started to just be able to have to eat like soups and softer things when I was having adjustments and things. And so that made it so harder to eat anyway. Mm -hmm. And it also gave me kind of an excuse to not eat the things my family was eating. And so I did start to lose weight. And what happened at that point is people... So, people started noticing and started uh, complimenting it, like, because mm. this is what society does, right? So, they say, Oh, you look so good. Have you lost weight? Mm. And that became a trigger for me. That became an exciting high for me. That, like, fed this disorder. It gave me a high. And so, I'm like, Ooh, I am liking this attention. I am liking this. And so, that just fed it more. And then another thing that started happening is I would eat, say, a piece of pizza, and then all of a sudden I would feel guilty. I would feel so much remorse and guilt. And I I would feel almost like I had sinned or something, like it just turned, mm. I just felt dirty and contaminated when I would eat just a piece of pizza. And I, you know, so I think, okay, I'm feeling gross, dirty, sinful when I ate that. So I want to, never have this feeling again. So what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to swear to never eat a piece of pizza again, because I don't want to feel like that again. Right. Mm -hmm. And to me, I'm like, okay, I got to like, cleanse myself of that pizza. So I'm going to over exercise to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And So that was my thinking. And so I started doing that. And then eventually, it evolved from just Eat from that pizza to eating a sandwich that was healthy and nothing wrong with the sandwich, but my brain was tricking me, telling me that it was contaminating me and it was wrong to eat it. And it was good and, you know, just ruin me. And so I decided, okay, I swear I'm never going to eat that sandwich because it made me feel dirty and, and sinful. And later I started connecting because I had a therapist that said, Well, why do you think eating is sinful? And I started connecting it. Like, have you ever went to a grocery store and seen fat-free, guilt-free ice cream? Mm -hmm. And so if you buy the regular ice cream, you're supposed to feel guilty because it's not the fat-free, guilt-free ice cream, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's even restaurants that will have a menu that's the guiltless menu, part Mm -hmm. of the menu. So if you order on this side of the menu, you're supposed to feel guilt, right? Because you didn't order on the guilt-free, ice, you know, guiltless menu. So I was making those connections in my brain to food instead of like an actual simple act, you know? Mm-hmm. It was to connecting to food mm-hmm. because I was a perfectionist and I wanted to be perfect. And I wanted to do everything right. I was a 4.0 student and I was, you know, I just wanted to be so good. And so my brain was flipping it to food. Um, So this kept going on. The depression kept getting worse. Um, The food kept getting smaller amounts that I was feeling okay to eat. So the remorse and the guilt started being connected to eating an apple. So I'm like, okay, I'm feeling so guilty for eating this whole apple. Maybe if I just eat a half an apple, I won't feel as bad. Mm. So this was growing worse and worse and worse and worse. To the point where I was, I was losing so much weight and getting weaker and sicker. Um, and, it, and I was doing it fast and dramatic. So within a year's time, mm-hmm. I had lost half of my body weight.
1: Oh, my word. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is crazy. Now, did your parents notice? that they say anything like, what happened to to trigger
0: my brother I had a brother that was three years older than me and he knew what anorexia was from school and he would tell my parents he would tell them like something is wrong with Haley like this I think is an eating disorder and so he would he would tell them and he they would say yeah we need to try to get her help and they'd um, confront me and then I would just you know, it's very confrontational and fighting and I'd run into my room crying and I'd say, leave me alone, I'm fine. And I just wanted to be left alone with my disorder. I didn't want them to take it away from me because it was my coping skill. It was, And I didn't know how to deal with life without it. And I was fighting them to leave me alone. And then he was called to serve a mission for our church, which was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So he was called to go serve in Canada. And I was so glad that he was going to leave because he was the only one that was pushing and pushing and pushing because my parents really didn't, they knew something was wrong, but they didn't really understand um, what anorexia was because they were just in a different generation and they weren't educated yeah. on it. Yeah. And so I thought, great, if he can leave, then they'll leave me alone. And so I think that kind of did help. I could kind of like lie about it. I could kind of say, no, I'm just sick. It's something else going on, you know? And I did have other health issues. So I could kind of mask um, what's going on for a little while, but eventually they did know like, okay, this is what's going on with eating disorder. They could could see I wasn't eating with the family. I wasn't eating enough. And um, they were trying to get me to to go to the doctors all the time. And I was just fighting and fighting and wouldn't let them get me help. and so then, what were
1: you thinking in your mind when they were trying to get you to the doctors? Like, what, what, what was the reason in your mind that that was just the worst thing ever?
0: I wasn't ready to give up anorexia. Mm. I it was I wasn't ready. I didn't want them to take it away from me yet for a long time. And then when it got so bad, it got so so bad that I could see I was just a skeleton in the mirror. I could look in the mirror. So at first. I I would look in the mirror and I think, oh, I'm so fat. I'm so gross. I need to lose weight, right? Because it's like, it's a mind game. It it fools your mind. It's, um, but then later on, I could see that I was a skeleton. I could see in the mirror. I could see the veins popping out of my forehead. I could look at my arm and I could see it was like a skeleton. Like the top of my arm was, the elbow joints would bulge out, you know, like mm-hmm. a skeleton. And I could see the veins, literally, I could see my veins popping out and I could feel them pushing through and it would hurt. And I couldn't, I'd get bruises all the time because I had no flesh um, and fat to protect my bones, my body. And so when I would lay down on my bed or anything, I would get bruises all over my back Um, and it would hurt. And I would be, and my knees would swell up from just retaining water my ankles would swell up and it would hurt and so at that point I knew I needed to to gain and I kind of thought okay I'll try to eat more on my own and it just wouldn't work and then one pivotal day I was taking a shower and I literally could feel my heart struggling to beat I could tell like it was gonna stop at any moment like it couldn't do it anymore And I could just, the movements of trying to take a shower was too much for it. And I knew at that moment, I've pushed it too far. I knew like anorexia is one, I'm going to die. And so I started praying and praying to, if Heavenly Father would let me live just through this moment, through this shower, just through this moment, I would finally go to my parents and say, I will get help. Because I knew it was too far. And that's what happened. I, I lived that moment and I went to, to my parents and I said, okay, I need help.
1: My goodness. But that was just the beginning of a yeah. journey back. But it's interesting how it had to start with your choice. Yeah. Like you had to choose it.
0: And hitting rock bottom. I know you did an episode about hitting rock bottom, and that's mm-hmm. what I had to do. I had to hit that rock bottom. And, um, so what I went to my parents, so what I went to my parents, they went and they got me into a center. I started treatment there and they said, you're one of the worst we've ever seen. They were scared. They were scared. They told my parents she could have a heart attack at any time. We don't know, you know, how she's even living here. <laughs> my blood pressure was so low and just scary, um, situation there, but, um, they started doing the treatment with me. And I was about not even two weeks, and and then something happened to my mind. So without the nutrients and fat, your brain cannot live. Mm. It can't function. And so I started to not be able to complete sentences. My sentences were starting to get really mixed up and jumbled, and then all of a sudden my mind just kind of broke. And uh I didn't recognize my parents. I didn't recognize what to do with food. I was sitting there and I didn't know how to feed myself anymore. So here I am 16 years old, 4.0 student, and I no longer recognize what to do with a fork. And so obviously this was like an emergent situation. So my parents took me to the ER
2: Mm
0: -hmm. and I didn't understand like, what they were doing i didn't know how to get into a wheelchair i was like my mom said my body just went like stiff and i just would like plank kind of across the wheel the wheelchair i didn't even understand how to sit in it like my brain just went psychotic
2: Hmm.
0: and um they had help with the tech you know the staff and stuff in the, uh, the er tried to put me in the er they i was fighting them i was kicking them um, I was ripping out IVs or trying to IVs in my arm. I was ripping them out because I didn't understand what was happening.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and they, they, they are like, well, she's psychotic. We need to put her in the psych ward.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But the problem with that is my liver was failing. My kidneys were failing. My heart was going to stop at any moment. Um, so I needed like medical help too, but I was mm-hmm. so psychotic. They couldn't put me in just a normal part of the hospital.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: but in the psych department of the adolescent psych department, they can't go allow parents to stay. So the problem is, so right before they took me to the ER, like while they were getting things ready, my mom had to hand feed me because I didn't understand what to do with the food. And it's really interesting. I remember that incident sitting at the table and looking down at my plate of food and I was hallucinating. I remember seeing gnarled up hair and metal like twisted up on my plate wow that's what i was seeing and they didn't understand why i wasn't being eating it yeah <laughs> and i was hallucinating that and they're like why isn't she eating and i'm like that's why are you feeding me hair and metal to chunks
1: mm-hmm.
0: like isn't that crazy like now mm-hmm. i can tell them what i was seeing but, um, but for some reason I could see the peas, there was peas on the plate and I could see them and I, they're like, she's only eating the peas. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: um, but anyway, so at the hospital, they're like, they, she needs help. She needs people there helping her. And they're like, no, you're not allowed in the adolescent department, but they put, they put me in without my parents. And I didn't understand. I felt so abandoned. I didn't understand why my parents were leaving me mm. and there's so much more to this story that i've put in my book mm-hmm. that i just can't go into everything right now but anyway eventually my my parents came back the next day during visiting hours and they saw that cuz i didn't understand what was going on while they were gone i was ripping the sheets off the beds i wasn't mm-hmm. um being taken care of i do remember this part while they were gone they brought the food to me the tray and Um, I didn't know what to do with it because in the hospitals, you know how they have the dome over the food. Oh, yeah! So, wow, how confusing is that for my brain right now? I didn't understand, I could smell the food, and I remember thinking, Okay, I'm in like a prison, they're trying to torture me. I know there's food under here, but they've made it impossible for me to get. Mm. That's what my brain was telling me. Wow, (laughs) and I and not only that, but it was so heavy, I remember trying to push at it, but I was so weak. I had no energy. I, could barely, I couldn't I could even hardly walk at that point or stand. I was so sick and I couldn't push, I couldn't access the food. Um, but the technicians and stuff at the hospital just thought, oh, that's the anorexic patient. She's just being stubborn. She's not eating. Just take the, just take the train. Let's go. Yeah. Well, so my mom came back the next day and was like, what is our goal here?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Our goal is to... Help this girl. She doesn't understand how to eat.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And she goes, Mom's like, I am not leaving. I don't care who I have to fight. And
1: (laughs) good for your mom standing up for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So she went to the administration of the hospital and she made it happen. So she wasn't leaving.
1: Oh, God bless your mom.
0: (laughs) So she stayed there and she hand fed me every meal. Like a toddler, and she brushed my hair. She rubbed lotion on my arms. My skin was flaking off and dying. And she rubbed lotion on my arms. She brushed my teeth and she bathed me. She stayed there for the entire month until my body and brain finally healed. Yeah. That is so like, I-
1: I guess I never realized how important it is for our brain to have nutrients to function. I mean, that's right. like kind of a no-duh thing <laughs> now that <laughs> no, you've you explained it, but, but I guess I've just never thought about it in that way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Now, you had a moment where you glimpsed the other side. Would you mind telling me about that?
0: Yeah. So I, I don't understand exactly how it all happened, but I just know it did. Um, I have a sister who had passed away and my grandma who passed away. And there was a time where I was with them and, um, I was given a choice to come back and to live or to pass on. And that's why I say sometimes like anorexia didn't almost kill me. It did because I was to the state and to the point of death. Mm. So I, I could have chose to pass on. Um, and I was in this beautiful place I it was I almost feel like it was like a waiting room area (laughs) Mm because I feel like it wasn't because it was like where I, I said I I was with them and it was a spiritual beautiful space and I was in no pain anymore and I could feel the Savior's love in this space and I could feel the love that my sister and grandma had for me and I was shown beautiful things and um and it um like I was told like for my sister that um I wasn't done with my mission here on Earth. Mm-hmm. But at the same time I still had agency to choose to come back or not. Um, but I was showing things like I was still meant to write my book and I was still meant to, and that's the book I, I wrote that was called A Future for Tomorrow that tells my whole whole entire story. Mm-hmm. And I was still meant to have a family and to help others with a lot of things I've went through and there's uh, many other beautiful things that um that I was shown but yeah it was and one thing that I came away from that experience is knowing that every single person on earth has this beautiful divine mission that only they can complete and to never doubt that never doubt that and never doubt how much Our Heavenly Father and Savior love you and know you and are aware of you. Wow. So what made you choose to stay? So that's what's interesting, right? Because I was so depressed before this. And there were times I was in the darkest depression. I was praying to die. Mm -hmm. I remember times at night I was... (laughs) crying in my pillow, crying, please. I, I didn't believe it was a, um, just, I didn't want to kill myself. I felt like it was not a right choice to kill myself, but I would pray to die. And then here I am literally on the other side of the veil, right? Mm-hmm. I had, had the choice to live or die and I chose to live. And the reason is uh, I was shown so many beautiful things that I should, needed to still do. And it made me so excited to live. It made me so excited to see that I still had a future, to have a family, that I needed to write a book, that I could go back and help others. That made me so excited to think I could come back and help other people. Um, my sister also told me I needed to learn sign language. And what that did for me, a couple things that was a big key in my healing, because anorexia had become my identity i was the girl with anorexia it it was my obsession something that i don't know if people really understand eating disorders become your everything because you're obsessed for like Three hours before you eat, okay. What am I going to eat? I'm going to eat this. My calories. This many fat grams. This many. Okay, I'm going to eat this. I'm going to eat this. And then after you eat it, you're obsessed with it afterwards. You're Mm. like, okay, what did I eat? And then you're and then okay, I got to exercise. I got to do this. I got to do that. How many many calories I'm going to burn? You're obsessed, and it becomes your whole identity. So, telling me to come back and learn sign language gave me a new passion. It gave me a new identity. It gave me something new to focus on when I returned, and it gave me something to be excited about. Mm. So what she was doing, not only was it probably part of something I meant to do on on Earth, because I have made beautiful friendships with the deaf community, and then now I teach sign language lessons, but it gave me a way to heal. So that's a big key for someone going through eating disorders is to find a passion so you could switch your focus from your eating disorder to a new passion.
1: Wow. I never would have guessed that. That's so fascinating. I love that your sister explaining to you that you still had amazing things that you were going to do, that it kind of gave you a vision of who you could become. And that gave you the will to live for that, Yeah, the desire to to help other people. And, and I feel the same way often, you know, I think that's kind of what's given me the drive to start this podcast, to write my own story, because it's not easy. It it really is a labor of love. And and there has to be that desire, that motivating factor. And so I think it's really cool that that was yours as well. It's, I want to help other people who have been in a hard spot. Yeah. And that, 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 because you know how bad that feels, right? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you bet.
1: We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we'll have more lessons, tips, and things you can apply to your life. Stay tuned. Hey, friends. I need your help. After podcasting, my Stories of Hope and Hard Time podcast for three and a half years and over 150 episodes all by myself. I've decided that with the growth and everything I'm doing, I can't do it by myself anymore. And so I am looking for three brave individuals to join me in my labor of love in helping spread God's light to the world that people can get through hard times with his help so if you resonate with that message and would love to help me spread my message of hope to the world i'm looking for three key people and they are first a producer to help me produce the podcast get things scheduled and stuff like that second a writer to help me make things look all pretty in the writing part of it third a social media person who can help me make social media things look awesome and pretty and you don't have to have any podcasting experience to help me with these things Just a love of God and trying to help your fellow man. So if you're interested in helping me out, reach out to me at Tamara, T-A-M-A-R-A, the letter K, Anderson with an O-N, author at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And even if you have a little bit of time, it would be awesome to have some helpers. Thanks, guys.
0: So in the hospital, but when we first got there, especially my um, the doctors told my parents, she's not going to live like she's not going to live. She's way too far gone. Her liver, kidneys are failing. Her heart's been stop. And then they said, but it, like if by a miracle she lives, her brain is so far gone and psychotic. There's just no coming back from that. Mm-hmm. And my parents are like, well, we believe in miracles. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that's what happened. And, um, and I came back to, to Hill completely physically and mentally with no deficits, oh. no deficits at all. Um, and, and then when I returned home, it took a process of, you know, counseling and things like that for a while and, and to dig up stuff, all those tin headed monsters, right. That you have under there. I had to dig those all up through counseling and heal all those monsters. But guess what? I am completely recovered and healed. And I know some people are like, we're like, you know what? Eating disorders are going to be with you your whole life. But it's it's not the case in my in my situation. You can heal. There is hope for a full, full recovery from eating disorders and to leave it behind forever. There's hope and there's healing in it. There really, really is.
1: Wow. So would you say then that the key to complete healing besides miracles obviously yeah. involving god in your healing right. um was was that you needed to get professional help
0: Absolutely yes 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 like like i said before i got that help i kept thinking oh i can do it myself i can do it myself you you can't that's a lie that i think that's a lie that yeah that Satan or whoever, your own mind wants to put in your brain that you can do it yourself, but you Mm -hmm. can't, you really need treatment and you need to, you know, go through what those underlining things and get help. And I think, um, a big help is like I said, finding that passion, finding what you love to, to steer away that. So you don't feel like that's your identity anymore. Cause that's Mm. a big thing for people. It's like, if I'm not anorexic, then who am I, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so let me ask you this: Are there counselors that are specifically trained oh, yeah. to deal with eating disorders, and how Absolutely. do you find them in your area?
0: So there's there's a lot of centers that do in treatment patient or outpatient treatment. It's like actual centers you can, but mm-hmm. then there's also just counseling. You can just Google that. They'll say it in their tra- in their um, training that eating disorder specific training. So that's something that you can just search. And there's absolutely people that are trained specifically for it. And I would recommend finding that for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah because I was, as you were talking about that, I'm like, this is like super specific. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you need super specific help. And and the good news is it's out there. It is. And, and so just look for it, get help. And. If you are a parent, say, for example, who has a child who is struggling with an eating disorder, what would you say to the parents? So I mean, obviously your mom never gave up, but... but
0: never give up. Never give up. Um, yeah. Something that I wanted to add in this podcast that I've never addressed before, but I was kind of feeling not prompting to maybe share this, is... Um, like maybe like something that your daughter with the eating disorder maybe wants to say to you, or your son wants to say, but they can't. um So there's a few things. This disorder is it, it's super ugly. It destroys not only your body, but it destroys your soul, your personality. It destroys relationships. It makes it so you don't even know how to communicate with the people you love anymore. It will turn people that um that used to be like your sweet kind daughter into someone who is lying to you and is um no longer able to like have those fun joyful times with you because they're just in this dark hurtful place but I want to I know they're in there and they're saying to you I'm still here I'm still your daughter I'm just dealing with some hard stuff right now and I don't mean to be acting this way. I don't want to act this way. It's the disorder. It's the disorder Mm. that's making me hide in my room and not be able to enjoy the things we used to enjoy as a family. But I'm still here and I want help and please don't give up on me. I'm still here. And once your daughter or son gets that treatment, they'll be back and that light will come back. And their relationships they have will return and just don't give up on them
2: Mm.
0: so that's one thing i wanted to share the second thing is when your daughter or son gets further in in um, recovery something to help them be more successful in their recovery and um, this is something that man i see this again and again and again with people in um in treatment and recovery and post-recovery they say the number one thing that is hard for them to continue the recovery is if their mom or family members are still dieting oh so if you think of how uh, uh so eating disorders are addiction right and a lot of times they go to aa that right along with alcoholic um uh, people with drug addictions If you had a family member that went away to AA and was struggling with um, abusive of substances, alcohol, drugs, and they came home, would you be drinking in front of them? Mm -hmm. Would you have like a beer, alcohol around them? Would you be like, would you have their friends with their, like that they did drugs with around them? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Heaven, stay far away from that, right? Right. And it is the same. people with eating disorders it's an it's addiction it's so triggering and painful for them to be around people that are constantly talking about dieting talking about oh I lost five pounds last night or this this month or or talking about oh I need to lose weight or oh I'm going to go exercise I need to burn off this these calories it is so triggering Mm -hmm. and it is so painful they need you to be on their side
2: Mm -hmm. they need
0: when you're talking like that and they're in an environment of this diet mentality, they feel betrayed. And they need to have an environment that's clean of that stuff. And that is the thing that I see again and again and again of of recovering patients that say, I, I, how am I going to recover if my mom's always dieting? So that's just a food for thought there.
1: Wow. I was just thinking that... Um that is such good advice for parents or loved ones of someone who is recovering is, is maybe you need to pause and think about your health (laughs) and what you need to do so that you're not triggering them, you know? So it's, it's almost like, Oh yes, your loved one needs counseling, but you might too. (laughs) You might need some healthy pointers and uh, learn to be okay. So What, what would you say is important as far as gaining self-worth, especially with what your body looks like genetically? What, what would you say to help people gain a more confidence in who they are?
0: So That's one reason why I've written my books is because they have so many parenting tips at the end, the children's books, especially for parents to just um, do self-esteem building exercises with their children. Mm -hmm. And one of the huge, huge ones is children learn from their parents. They learn from Mm -hmm. their examples of their parents. One of my favorite quotes is from Naomi Wolf. And this is is what her quote is, a mother who radiates self-love and acceptance actually vaccinates her daughter against low self-esteem.
1: Ooh, would you read that one more time?
0: (laughs) That was really good. Like, I want to hear it again. Yeah. A mother who radiates self-love and acceptance actually vaccinates her daughter against low self-esteem.
1: Wow. That's powerful. Right? So, so obviously I, I know that this is something that I've watched people that I love struggle with. So what do you think is the key then to being comfortable in your own skin?
0: So, yeah, I, it, it's all about switching that brain talk. So when you yourself talk, so when you are thinking, oh man, I hate the way I look at this. Oh, I'm so ugly, I'm so bad. Catch it catch it and say, I'm not going to think like this anymore for my own good and for my children's Mm -hmm. good. So catch it and then reverse it and say, you know what? I'm beautiful. I love the way I am. I, my body is so powerful and is so good. And that's what I love about it is thinking your body is good. Your body is good. It, you know, helps you, your arms just have appreciation and gratitude for what your body does. Your, your arms help you hold your baby. It helps you cook, you know, helps you around dysfunction. Your legs help you, you know, take walk and serve others and just have, you know your body is good. And so it's all about catching those negative thoughts, just catching them, being aware of them so you can change them. And like I said, I, so what happened was why I started my children's books is really just so I, cause I, so first I wrote my, my story, right. That tells mm-hmm. all about everything I was kind of telling you, but lots more details. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would start speaking at women's conferences and schools and things like that. But I'd have parents come up to me and say, you know, it is my first grader who is having low self-esteem or is my second grader who's getting bullied because of their weight or issues like that. And so that's why I started writing my children's books and I wanted them to be a tool, like just like you're saying, a powerful tool because not just a fun story, there's a fun story at the beginning, but at the end there's tools. So parents can do these self-esteem building exercises for themselves and for their children, and then there's um, so there's the exercises they can do with their children, and then tips for parents. So hopefully we can help stop some of these issues before they're created.
1: Ooh, I love that! What a fantastic resource. Because I think you're right; parents strongly influence how their children view the world, and so right. if if we as women and as mothers um, or fathers are constantly talking bad about our bodies, then our kids will pick up on that and right. follow that same pattern, but we can change it. And that's yeah. that's the message of hope is that it's not too late.
0: Yeah, you can change
1: we, yeah. and, 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 and that same pattern of healing can then be passed on, right?
0: Yeah, like I'm a firm believer in when we know better, we do better. And that's what I'm hoping to share with everybody. So yeah, and what's really exciting. So I wrote my... Um, second one that's called um, From Head to Tummy and then my new 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 release is um, Lily's Reflection and it is a true um, beauty princess story but what's really cool about that one is I did it along with my niece and she did all the illustrations and she was only 14 when she started it and she did a beautiful job beautiful like when you look at it you will never guess (laughs) a teenager did it because she is so remarkable and talented and if you go on my Facebook page I had her do a little video with me where she showed how she did the illustrations and the step by steps. Uh and it blew my mind she's so incredible and one thing that I think is extra special about her and her story is her little brother had leukemia And he battled that for many years. And it was before COVID when he was first diagnosed. And so they had to do quarantine before any of us knew what quarantine was. (laughs) Oh,
1: God bless them.
0: (laughs) And so she really couldn't, you know, just go out and, you know, go with her friends or go to ballet classes, stuff like that. So she just really honed in her skill of art and illustrating. And wow, what a talent that girl has and i'm just so excited to share it with everybody
1: oh my goodness yes what a journey you've had my goodness and thank you for for choosing to come back and to make a difference in the world because we need you and we need your message and this is so important especially to those who are struggling right this minute with this very issue so now before we go um, do you have a Bible verse that has become meaningful to you through your up and down journey, uh, figuring out do I stay or do I go? You know all of that.
0: Yeah. So um, when I struggled so much through all my heart, you know the hard times, the depression. Depression. Um, John, fourteen eighteen meant so much to me. It was. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And I believed it. I believed Christ. I believed Mm -hmm. my savior when I read that. And that pulled me through all the dark moments.
1: Oh, that's so powerful. Now, how do we find you and your books? Because I know that there's going to be people out there like, okay, I've got to buy this book like right now. (laughs) So where do we find it? Where do we find you?
0: So you can go to my website, which is HaleyHFreeman.com. My name is H-A-L-E-Y, HaleyHFreeman.com. And on Amazon, all my books are on Amazon. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram.
1: Oh, wonderful. Haley, this has been so amazing. And I think one of the things that I've just realized the most is the power of one person you know that one person can make such a big difference even if the the back end of your story was hard and awful that that doesn't mean you can't turn it around and become such a powerful voice for good so thank thank you for being that example seriously yeah
0: that means a lot thank you
1: Thank you, Haley, for coming on today. I will make sure to include links to her website and her books in the show notes for today's show, and you can get them. And if you have somebody in mind that you know who is struggling with this or who has a child who's struggling with this, be sure to share this episode with them so that they too can have that hope that their child can recover from an eating disorder. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, subscribe so you can get your weekly dose of powerful stories of hope. I know there are many of you out there who are going through a hard time, and I hope you found useful things that you can apply to your own life in today's podcast. If you would like to access the show notes of today's show, please visit my website, storiesofhopepodcast.com. With hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough, remember to walk with Christ and he will help you bear the burden. And above all else, remember, God loves you.